1: As to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land, we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before.
0: This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself.
1: Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing.
2: We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other
3: things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country
1: tears the Sweet land of liberty of be As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries
0: This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420.
4: The answer is your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed, and a good morning to you. Thank you so very much for being with us on Always Right Radio, AM 1420. The answer on a Thursday. It is nine minutes after nine o'clock, the 16th morning of the 11th month in the year of our Lord, 2023. Coming up in about an hour, we're going to talk to the voice of reason in our culture wars, uh, general, Dr. Uh, Everett Piper, he's not actually a general, just what I call him for the culture wars. Dr. Piper will be with us at uh, 1010 this morning. After that, at 1035, we'll hear from Jack Windsor, the editor-in-chief and the founder of the Ohio Press Network. He's got some really important news uh, to discuss with us uh, in the state of Ohio. As a matter of fact, uh, we may be getting into that before we even talk to Jack this morning because uh, some of it is really, really important. Um and a little bit alarming, if I, if I may dare say. So we're going to be talking to Jack, and uh, we may talk about that again with the two of us between now and 1035. So 216 is the number, 888 Either one of those numbers will get you here, and I look forward to what you've got to say. Bad news to start the day, but not unexpected news. Democrats did what Democrats do, the wrong thing. Almost exclusively. It's like they have a patent on doing dumb things. Such as, for example, not backing and supporting with $14.3 billion of very necessary aid, our only uh, functioning uh, democracy and ally in the entire Middle East, as they face a war of aggression from uh, terrorist organizations, backed by one of our staunchest enemies in the world, uh, Iran, through their proxies of Hamas and Hezbollah. Uh, they are attacking our ally, and we aren't doing squat. Why? Because Democrats have the Senate. Senate Democrats blocked an effort yesterday to um, uh, fund the uh, Israeli effort with $14.3 billion, which were passed. Those dollars were passed by the House Uh, Just last week, we talked about this. It was good news. Speaker Mike Johnson got the votes on the House side. We always knew it was going to come down to the Senate and then whether or not uh, Joe Biden would greenlight it. And of course, they won't and neither would he. They will not give money to Israel unless we spend more billions of dollars on the absolutely indefensible uh, Ukrainian effort. And when I say indefensible, I don't mean that we do not support their effort to beat back Putin in Ukraine. But it is indefensible that we spend another nickel there without a defined end goal and, and mission parameter in place. It cannot be forever, as long as it takes, however much it takes. That cannot be the American uh, commitment going forward. Not we list look. We've already spent 120 billion of our taxpayer dollars over there, and we don't know what an end looks like. I believe that Volodymyr Zelensky is over there laughing and cleaning money like you have no idea. I do not believe that's how this whole thing started. And I supported the effort at the beginning because of the potential threat of Putin working his way through Europe, but I am absolutely done with that. We have no evidence whatsoever that there is an end to sight, and thus our commitment must have an end in sight. But the Democrats said, nope, we're not giving any more money or any money to Israel unless we give a whole bunch more of it to Ukraine. This is Senator Roger Marshall, Republican from Kansas, reacting. Now, the
5: second hour I've spent on the floor debating my friends from across the aisle. And they spend three-fourths of their time telling us why we should fund Ukraine. I agree with some of their arguments. I disagree with some of their facts. I disagree with many of their conclusions, So though they spend three-fourths of the time telling us why we should fund Ukraine, no one will stand up and say we should not fund Israel now. No one has an argument for that. They seem to be allergic to the word Israel. They seem to be afraid to use the word Israel, that something is is inhibiting them from talking about the situation there nearly as much as they do about Ukraine.
4: So we'll we'll stop it there. So uh, that's important. Uh, It it is extremely important to understand what the Democrats have done here. And Roger Marshall uh, asked for unanimous consent to pass this because it is necessary and it is obviously a matter of life and death for uh, the nation of Israel. Life and death for the nation of Israel. It is something that you need to understand. The legislation backed by 12 House Democrats, on the uh, obviously on the House side, a little redundant there, on November 2nd was blocked by a handful of Senate Democrats. Senator Patty Murray of Washington argued that funding for Ukraine and humanitarian assistance must be included in any package. Quote, I had to block a Senate Republican's attempt to pit aid for Israel against support for Ukraine and humanitarian assistance. We've given them $120 billion. When does Europe step up with aid and humanitarian assistance? Why are we the world's a t freaking m? We cannot be, Patty Murray. You absolutely warped individuals have no sense of prioritization of American aid dollars. What's the priority right now? It is clearly Israel, our ally. It is Israel that is being threatened with extinction. It is not Ukraine. Yes, Ukraine is indeed fighting a a barbaric takeover, if you will, by the tyranny of Vladimir Putin. It does not rise to the level of what they were dealing with in Israel, and particularly it does not have as much of an impact on us, the American people. You know, there was a president at one time who made famous a phrase, America first. It wasn't that long ago. It was just a few short years ago and many of us bought into it many of us still do many of us believe that america has to come first well when it comes to sending american tax dollars overseas it better be to american interests because america first and yes israel is an american interest ukraine is simply not ukraine would be of interest to other european countries particularly those that border it it is not specifically particular to um, uh, American interest, the way Israel is. So it is important to understand that. And we have to tell the truth about what's going on with respect to our tax dollars. So I, again, I, I don't know where it's going to go from here. Are they going to kick it back over to the House? The House is going to go ahead and throw a few bucks in for Ukraine? Or are they going to go back again? Or is, is, Are Senate Democrats who proclaim, by the way, Senate Democrats and Joe Biden, that their support for Israel is unequivocal, which it is absolutely equivocal. It is absolutely not certain. Um, they claim that. If that's true, then why wouldn't they just green light this and say, we'll have the conversation about Ukraine later? Yes, here's $14 billion for the Israeli effort. Obviously, there is equivocation, is there not? Democrats blocked their efforts to get aid to Israel for two solid weeks. And there is no excuse for it whatsoever. John Kirby, the National Security Council spokesperson, said the president would have vetoed any package that contained only funding for Israel. Tell me again how Joe Biden is unequivocal in his support for the Israeli effort. Tell me again. Why any Jew in the United States of America would ever cast another vote for a Democrat, any of them, any secular Jew, any religious or Orthodox Jew. I don't care if you are Jewish and you are an American and you are voting for Democrats, you are voting against your own self-interest. How? Why? Someone explained that to me. It is a question without an answer, and I have talked to many people about it. And it's all, well, it's historic, and the Jewish people have been oppressed, and so therefore they, try, they tend to side with the party that has the reputation of being for the oppressed. Are you kidding? Why do you think that the radical left in the United States and abroad is anti-Israel? Because they don't see them as being oppressed. They don't see Jewish people as being oppressed. They see them as oppressors, literal oppressors. So why are Jews still supporting Democrats when you hear these things, when you see the results of these votes? It is impossible to explain. It is impossible to justify the barbarism of the Palestinians who enjoy the support of the American left. That's uh, that's not in question. They are barbaric. There, there is. I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. I'm not a, I'm not one to play games with political correctness. Barbarism is barbarism including stashing weapons and military equipment in hospitals. We've talked about this. We know this is happening but it's rare that we get video footage of it happening when IDF forces go in and do what they did yesterday. IDF forces released a video yesterday showing what it said were weapons in a Hamas-run hospital in the Gaza Strip amid international criticism that Israel is targeting medical facilities for the purpose of killing uh, innocent civilians, particularly children. Israel has long known... And so has the rest of the world that Hamas uses hospitals and schools as command centers and ammunition depots to conceal their military operations, their equipment, their weaponry, all of it. And they put civilians in harm's way with little regard for their safety. In fact, they have made it very clear they have no regard for their safety, declaring that they need to have civilian blood spilled in order to gin up anger against Israel and continue to to, uh, revitalize their, quote, revolutionary spirit. So the IDF video shows Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan uh, Conricus walking through an MRI center of the um, uh, Al-Shifa hospital in Gaza. A few of the most interesting things that we found totally confirms without doubt, he says, that Hamas systematically uses uh, hospitals in their military op- excuse me, operations in violation f- uh, of international law. As he walks through the hospital, he points out various weapon caches uh, found hidden inside... Uh, Uh, An MRI machine, which, of course, is a medical machine, uh, behind it was military equipment, including AK-47 rifles, ammunition, magazines, grenades, military uniforms. A backpack with military intelligence was in it. More of the same found in another MRI uh, or imaging room. In the other parts of the facility, they found more rifles and ammunition inside of a closet as well. These weapons have no business being inside a hospital. The reason they're here is because Hamas put them here. They use this place, like many others, um, for their illicit military purposes. How are any Americans, especially Jews, backing this and still continuing to call for a ceasefire? Let me ask you, do you think that any army, I don't want to use the term army because that that would give them validation as a state with an actual military, but it's a military terrorist organization. So I'm using the word army loosely. Would any army that would be willing to honor a ceasefire do something as depraved and indefensible as, as using hospitals surrounded by sick and injured civilians as their military command headquarters? In other words, anybody who's willing to do what they are doing in these hospitals and in schools to put the civilians around them, using them as human shields, quite literally, so that the Israelis will think twice about about uh, you know uh, uh, attacking in their self-defense exercises—if anybody that would do that, do you think they would honor a ceasefire? Do you think if Israel said, "Okay, we're going to pull back, we're going to we're going to we're going to pause"? We're going to stop the, the the war for now and let's talk. Let's just say Israel was stupid enough, and they're not, thanks to Bibi Netanyahu. Let's just say that they're stupid enough to say, okay, let's have a ceasefire. Let's talk. Let's figure out how we can get past this this little unpleasantry of your uh, savage, barbaric uh, attack with with tanks and with uh, not tanks, but uh, b- uh, blasting through walls with explosives and paragliders coming in and terrorists. Uh, by the hundreds, committing atrocities by the thousands. Let's see if we can just get past all that, and we'll we'll live side by side again. What do you think? Do you think if Israel was stupid enough to grant that ceasefire? Do you think that Hamas, with all of their weapons hidden inside of hospitals and schools, would honor any ceasefire? Particularly when they have already answered that question and said we're coming back again, again, and again, and again until you're gone. Honestly, I'm just over this American impotence when it comes to doing what needs to be done to protect one of our allies which thus protects us there is an impact what happens in Israel will absolutely have an impact here we need to make sure that they they wipe out unconditionally all elements of Hamas because if you don't think Hamas continues to strategize about how they're going to strike us here well then you're not paying attention to what's going on at the southern border and I sub, sub, suggest that you pay attention to what's going on at the southern border. I did an interview with Alan Dershowitz about Israel and about uh, his new book, uh, the, uh, uh, the the uh, Hate for the Jews. Um, that wasn't the name of the book. I, I apologize. It's not the war on Jews either, but it's something similar to that. But I did an interview with him about his new book that literally just dropped last week. And uh, we talked also about the threat to Americans. I'm going to play a little bit of that for you coming up in the next half hour. Um, but that was for my strictly speaking television podcast, which you should absolutely watch on Roku and on true blue. Um, but at any rate, we, we cannot just look at what's happening over there and saying yawn. It doesn't affect us over here. It doggone well does. And if you're not understanding how and why, then I suggest you pay closer attention. By the way, Rashida Talib. The censured member of Congress, the Palestinian uh, who was elected in an overwhelmingly Muslim uh, district in Michigan uh, centered around Dearborn. She is a part of a special secret social media group in which her members have glamorized Hamas in the battle with Israel. Let me say that again. She claims that I'm not pro-terrorist. I'm just pro-Palestinian people. Okay. Okay. If that's what you are, explain your presence in this group, in this social media group in which um, Hamas is celebrated, championed, cheered on for what they do. Explain that. All of this captured and leaked with uh, screenshots. This is a private group where nobody is supposed to be able to see, but somebody got in and found her pro-Hamas page that she is a part of in this group that she's a part of. She's a sitting United States congresswoman. You don't think the threats are coming here? You don't think she could be subversive? Don't be naive, my friends. It is that important. All right, it's 925. Let's do our pledge, and then we'll take a quick time out. We'll get some calls going at 216-901-0945 and triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Patriots, stand, face your flag, put your hand on your heart and join us for this pledge of allegiance to the United States of America, not to the People's Republic of China. I bring that up solely because if you didn't see when President Xi Jinping visited yesterday, they lined the streets of San Francisco with Chinese communist flags. I am staring at them right now. Chinese communist flags flew on American soil. All in homage to a dictator representing a country that gave us COVID-19 that gave and that continues to give um, its own people death and torture in concentration camps. This is a communist dictator, and he was honored with the Chinese flags. They are not an ally. They're an adversary. And they turned the United States. I'm staring at this, this screenshot Of yesterday in San Francisco, Chinese flags flying high. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, about 13 of them just in this, uh, you know, not very wide shot. One American flag among them. Chinese flags flew. Communist flags flew. If you are a supporter of that, then don't lie to us and pledge your allegiance to the stars and stripes. Instead of standing proudly next to us, go ahead and take a knee like the communist supporter you obviously must be We are fired up today. If you cannot tell, join us. Match our passion. Join me at 216 901 945 888 281 This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer.
0: Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer.
4: All right, 936, thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. Let's get T.J. up and on the radio early. T.J. in Cleveland, fire away, my friend.
3: Yeah, good morning, Bob. You know, I'll tell you what I think is happening like with the Ukraine. Yeah. You know, Zelensky's got all the goods on the uh, Biden crime syndicate. Yeah. And if he starts to talk, you know, spilling the beans, uh, he'll bring Biden and the DNC down. <clears throat> so he's basically blackmailing Biden and the DNC. That's why they keep pouring money into it. And they're going to keep giving him everything he wants, or he's going to start singing like a canary. And that's exactly what's happening in the Ukraine.
4: I agree one million percent. They're extorting the United States because they've got business relationships, and not all of them legal, obviously, with uh, the Biden family, with Joe, with Hunter. Uh, All of the money and all of the bank receipts and all of the other uh, information that they've been gathering in judiciary and oversight proves exactly that. That, yes, indeed, uh, um, uh, Ukraine and its oligarchs and its government is so corrupt, they are taking advantage of the Biden family. And uh, the only way that they're going to be able to keep them uh, quiet, as you point out, is, is to continue pumping money into that, uh, that uh, bottomless pit. And that's exactly what's going on. Why this is even remotely disputed. Or debatable is beyond me, TJ, because it is clear the evidence has been presented, and uh, maybe, maybe when articles of impeachment at the beginning of the year are presented, maybe we'll get more depth on that. But that's why they want to keep sending our billions over there.
3: Yeah, and and you know this attack of the DNC headquarters and uh, the Capitol building by the left. Yeah. Where's the FBI uh, looking into these people? Uh, how come the left isn't yelling insurrection, insurrection? I mean, isn't it kind of like the same thing they said happened on January 6th, only they're looking the other way this time?
4: Yeah. Well, the, first of all, this wasn't uh, this wasn't the Capitol. This was the DNC headquarters where all well, of this went on. Well, didn't they last on, so. week?
3: Didn't they? Didn't they, uh, on the Capitol? Didn't they do that last week? They had well, they, they
4: they they did uh, toward the end of October. If you recall, they did. Right. Uh, you know, they went in there and they were they were pounding and stomping and so on and, and and screaming for a ceasefire and all of that stuff. So yeah, technically you could make that argument. That's one of the big things. And thanks for the call, TJ. That's one of the big uh, discussion points that I had with Max Miller about the uh, resolution to censure <clears throat> Rashida Tlaib because um, it included language like insurrection. So, I mean, it it is and it isn't. In other words, if you really want to play their game and say that January 6th was an insurrection, which it was not, then you can say that uh, what the Democrats did in this little ceasefire stunt uh, was also an insurrection because it was trying to disrupt or obstruct capital business, right? But the flip side of that would be if you don't believe january 6th was an insurrection which it was not then you shouldn't call this one one either because it just legitimizes their claim that january 6th was an insurrection. we don't want an uh, insurrection we don't want to uh, legit legitimize that by the way since i brought up sharia to leave in her censure and you just reminded me of this let me give you that details about the social media group that i was talking about see we keep Hearing from the radical left, now this is going back to the Israel and Hamas situation. We keep hearing from the radical American left that there is a huge difference. You have to draw a distinction between Hamas and Palestinians. Oh really? Okay. Tell me why. Considering that Palestinian quote unquote civilians participated in the butchery of October 7th, wasn't just Hamas when they paraded bodies. And hostages through the streets in Gaza, Palestinians spit upon them, hit them, attacked them, desecrated them. Those are Palestinians. But we're still told the Palestinian people are different than the terrorists of Mosque. Give them a break. And Rashida Tlaib, um, the the, uh, Sharia-loving representative from Dearborn, Michigan, when she says, I'm just looking out for the Palestinian people, and this is wrong, we have to have a ceasefire, they're committing genocide against the Palestinian people, I'm not for Hamas, I'm just for Palestine or Palestinians. Okay. Tell us why, then. You're part of this so- secret social media group in which your members are glamorizing Hamas. Um, she is part of a Palestinian-American Congress group on Facebook that's hidden from non-members and does not appear on the platform search engine. So if you go to Facebook right now, And you look for Palestinian American Congress or any kind of a group like that, you will not find it. But it's there because it has been exposed. The group's founder is Mahar Abdel Qadar, or Qadar, who has extensive ties to Sharia Tlaib and has also been linked to other liberal politicians. And this founder has come under fire in the past for his anti-Semitic social media posts, including questioning whether or not the Holocaust ever even occurred. The Palestinian American Congress Group, of which Talib is a member, has featured other pro-Hamas posts in the wake of the October 7th attacks. Not just pro-Hamas prior to the atrocities on October 7th, but since then. On October 12th, for example, one group member posted, we don't want to throw you in the sea. We want you to ride it back from where you came. This is accompanied by a picture of an elderly Israeli woman and a Hamas fighter holding her captive i'm looking at the picture right now and i'm looking at the caption this is sharia talib's facebook group on october 19th another member of this group wrote about the achievements of the resistance in northern occupied palestine something that doesn't exist including dozens of dead israeli soldiers the post included a picture of a hamas fighter Since yesterday, I have been attached to the TV watching the news one group member posted on October 10th addressing the American media and saying, you and the people directing you are the problem. You created it almost 100 years ago, made it official 75 years ago, and you have been feeding the flame ever since. You consider a Hamas uh, a terrorist organization, and I'm not going to argue with you. At the same time, you've been broadcasting that they've been killing women and children. Guess that is what terrorists do at the same time. No mention of the killing of Palestinian women and children and entire families on a daily basis. By the peace-loving state of Israel using American gifts of weapons and jet fighters. In other words, pure, unadulterated Hamas propaganda. And it's posted on Rashida Talib's Facebook group, her private one that people can't see unless you're a part of a member of the group. Yesterday, I didn't see Hamas. I saw grandkids of the refugees that ethnically cleansed from their homeland, attacking the grandkids of the colonists who sent them to Diaspora they later wrote. So it goes on and on like this. There's more and more of this propaganda and and pro-Hamas and anti-Israel stuff, and Sharia Talib is a member of this group. This is one of the reasons why she was censured. My only question is, is even though they have passed a single uh, resolution of censure, and they are not, Max Miller told us this yesterday, they, in order to get Democrats to come on board and agree to the censure, she won't have to stand in the well and face the... Um, uh, con- condemnation from her colleagues, the way anybody else who gets censured would. Um, I wonder if they can write another, because they probably were not aware of this particular part of her. Um, I don't know what we want to call her her rhetoric. I guess um, against Israel, against America as our their allies, and in favor of of Hamas. There's just no other way to no other to say it. There's more information there. I hope she faces um, even more censure or more uh, condemnation from the official body. Okay. I'm going to pivot away from that for a moment. I've talked enough about, uh, Biden and his uh, complete equivocation on something he claims is unequivocal support for Israel. Let's talk about his continued assault on the American bench. What do I mean? If you have not been following, um, uh, Republican, uh, Senator, uh, John, John Kennedy from uh, Louisiana, <clears throat> He is a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee that has to uh, question and, and provide advice and consent on whether or not judicial nominees should take federal benches. Uh, this is a very, very important part of the process in making sure that our judicial system, our criminal justice system, uh, is indeed uh, functioning at its highest level. And that means you have to have the very best of the best sitting on a federal bench, right? Well, Senator Kennedy has made it his mission to prove that the individuals who are being sent to them for advice and consent and whether or not they should be confirmed to the federal bench are qualified. And to do so, he asks what has commonly been, you know, been known as or been called, uh, you know, the Kennedy bar exam, where he asks basic, simple, legal questions, things that any first year law student should know of these supposedly qualified Federal judges in waiting, and the embarrassment that has resulted from that has been has been legendary, because you have Biden nominees for the federal bench sitting up there baffled, the different absolutely absolutely baffled, no idea, no idea what the answer to the question is, simple basic stuff that a first year law student student could answer. The latest example of this. Is Sarah E. Hill. She is a Native American woman. Once again, this is Joe Biden doing what Joe Biden does, choosing diversity, equity, and inclusion over qualifications. All right. That's important to note. That's why so many of these unqualified people are being put on federal benches to make decisions that are going to impact I mean, Lord knows how many different people going forward setting precedent, federal federal decisions setting precedent as well. So this particular one, um, Sarah E. Hill was asked a very simple question about something that, like I said, a first-year law student would know. And this is Senator Kennedy's question and the answer from Sarah to E. Hill. the
6: difference between a stay order and an injunction?
7: A stay, a stay order would prohibit... Um, so an, an injunction would re- restrain the parties from taking action, a state order. I'm not sure that I actually can, uh, can give you the, okay.
4: <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't be laughing. I should be outraged. So should you, do you know when this person ends up on the federal bench, how many decisions she is going to make that are going to be so impactful to people to individuals to corporations to nonprofits to anybody that she is she has no idea what a difference but the difference is between a stay and an injunction and I wanted to prove my theory and by the way I should also point out Senator Dick Durbin, who is also on that uh, Senate uh, Judiciary Committee that that helps confirm or provide advice and consent on whether or not these people are qualified. When it was over, Dick Durbin congratulated Sarah Hill for, quote, passing the Kennedy bar exam. What? How did she pass? She couldn't answer a simple question about a stay order versus an injunction. This is incredible. This person is going to be on the bench. I'll give you another one. a previous judicial nominee that, that Biden sent to that committee for uh, for uh, questions and, and uh, you know of their qualifications and their fitness for the bench um, was asked uh, about simple procedures about um, the Brady the Bra- uh, Brady motion. And this question for nominee S Cato Cruz was unable to explain the difference between a Brady motion, and the supreme court case brady versus maryland with the brady handgun violence protection act very the everybody knows about the, uh, the the brady bill everybody knows about the brady handgun violence protection act everyone knows that and about whether or not that that was determined to be constitutional or not that is very different than a brady motion motion the senator also senator uh, kennedy left another one speechless after asking how spending fifty trillion dollars would reduce global temperatures during a May third hearing, uh, he grilled the Illinois Secretary of State Alexi Yanopoulos uh, or yeah Yanopoulos over. Uh, I mean it just goes on and I got this list here of the Kennedy things, but I wanted to prove my point or my belief, my 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 thought that any first year law student would would be able to answer questions like that. So I texted my daughter right before the show started and right before her nine o'clock class began. She's down at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. And I just said very simply, do you know the difference between a state order and an injunction? The exact same question Kennedy asked this Biden diversity hire of a nominee. She said yes. A state order is a motion to the court to halt the legal proceedings for various reasons. An injunction, <laughs> an injunction is a judicial order that requires a person to stop doing something until a court determines its constitutionality. My daughter is exactly what I just said. A first year law student. Better yet, this is only November. You know what she is? She's a first semester of her first year law student. And she knew what this federal judicial nominee did not know. Why am I bringing it up? Because our entire country is falling to absolute hell. With this dementia patient committed to diversity, inclusion, and equity instead of qualifications, instead of merit in charge of every single aspect of American federal government, including our courts. I mean, in all seriousness, all of the diversity hires that this lunatic has made for his cabinet posts, for extraordinarily important appointments uh, to to, uh, his uh, federal staff, to the judicial appointments, all geared toward left-wing global ignorance. Globalism for a sovereign state. Globalism being forced into a sovereign state by a man who is nothing but a puppet to those globalists. That's why he is pursuing all of these radical diversity hires. It's why he picked who he picked for vice president. She's a bumbling, babbling idiot. It's why it's who he picked for the Supreme Court, uh, uh, Ketanji Brown Jackson, who doesn't know what a woman is because she said she's not a biologist. He's picking radical people for with 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 um. Higher diversity scores rather than qualified people with higher merit scores. This is a judge who's going to impact Lord knows how many important cases, and she doesn't know what my first-year law student daughter knows. This is – and, oh, by the way, as long as I'm on the – The, the, Abby, the, the try and kill an F – Yeah, we already heard that. Be quiet, you. Um, as long as we're on the, the pits, pits of hell that we are on our way to, if we're not already there under the Biden administration. How about this one? We haven't talked about the economy in a few days because, well, really, maybe in a few weeks because we're so focused on what's going on in Israel and the importance of this. We haven't talked about the economy and about the cost of, well, everything you buy as we approach the holiday season. Christmas is here, my friends. Thanksgiving is this Thursday, and if you're not already started with your Christmas shopping, chances are you are late. You are very, very late. Now, if you start shopping on Black Friday, maybe that's your thing. Okay, you haven't found out yet, but you're going to find out that the prices are still exorbitant. But NBC News, working dutifully as the propaganda arm, which is all of the mainstream American media, the propaganda arm of the Biden administration, wants you to bask in the glow and the good news about our economy that the prices are getting higher at a slower rate. That is the measure <laughs> that they used that they use to judge the bidenomics economy inflation is still happening but it's a slower rate of inflation than it was before i remember a time i'm old enough to remember when we used to measure the success of an economy and the success of uh, of of the rate of inflation per, uh, when compared to the rate of wage increases used to be whether or not prices were falling If if prices were falling or if inflation was only happening at a minuscule level, kind of like when President Trump was was in office, we had an inflationary rate in in, uh, the Trump uh, presidency of about 1.2%. Joe Biden came in and jacked it up to about 9.5%. And we've all been struggling ever since. Everything that we pay for ever since has been more. Now they're celebrating. That it's still increasing, but it's increasing at a slower rate than it was before. Bask in the good news, my friends. Prices have not changed much over the past few months, but they're still up more than 3% from last year. Bottom line,
0: you're still paying more, but consumer prices are increasing at a slower rate than we've been
4: seeing. They're celebrating this. Like, see, look, binomics is working. It's still increasing, but it's at a slower increase than it was before when Biden spiked it up to
8: nine and a half percent. Let's bask in the good news for a minute. Remember yeah. when it- she said that out loud. She did news for a minute. Remember yeah. when it was nine percent, the inflation mm-hmm. rate? I mean, that was terrifying. And that was that was issue number one for American families. You
4: notice how she doesn't say when it happened. Just remember when it was nine percent. Well, now it's only three and a half percent. You know, do you see that? I mean, remember when that was? She doesn't say remember when that happened because of Joe Biden's policies. Just remember that.
8: So 3.2 percent, that's better than it was in September. That means prices are rising more slowly. It's still rising faster than the Fed would want, still faster than American families would want. But that is a slowdown in the inflation rate. Used car prices fell last month. Airfares fell last month, oh. gas prices fell last month, and rents and, you know, shelter costs.
4: Gas prices that are still spiked far higher than they ever were under President Trump because of his energy policies and killing of pipelines, banning of drilling, banning of fracking, his war on fossil fuels, prices are still exorbitant.
8: grew more slowly. So all of that was the good news. That's why the Dow Jones Industrial Average had a very good day very yesterday. Good mm-hmm. But, you know, most people care about the grocery bill, not the yeah. Dow, right? And so... We're still worried about overall prices still a little bit too high i'll be the negative nelly grocery prices are still high and that's what most people feel the prices are still higher the level of Mm -hmm. prices has gone up the past two or three years so when you go to the grocery store you still feel like you know grocery prices four of the six categories that this cpi measures were higher in the most recent month so People feel that the grocery bill today is higher than it was two years ago. And I think that's why the opinion. Two years
4: ago. What happened two years ago? Huh? What happened two years ago? What happened in January of 2021? Say it. Say it out loud. Why won't you say what happened two years ago when Joe Biden took office? Polls
8: show. Every time I say, guys, the economy is doing okay. You know, the public says it doesn't feel that way. Ooh. It really doesn't feel that way. And I think grocery bills are a big part of that.
4: You may- Of course, the grocery bills are a big part of that. And so are gas bills. You don't have to agree. But I want you to look in my
0: eyes. I guarantee you. I guarantee you, we're going to end fossil fuel, and I am not going to cooperate. With you,
4: okay. Bask in the good news, my friends. We're getting poorer at a slower rate than we were before. Bask in the good news, says uh, the Pravda of American media, NBC News. It's nine fifty-seven. Top hour news is coming up. Doctor Everett Piper after. Stay here on Always Right Radio.
1: You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness.
0: This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. It's your host, Bob
4: France. All right, into hour number two we go. It is eight minutes after 10 o'clock on this Thursday, the 16th morning of the 11th month in the year of our Lord, 2023. Appreciate you being with us. We're going to talk to Jack Windsor in about a half an hour, the editor and founder, or excuse me, the founder. Let's do that again. Founder and editor-in-chief. I almost made him the editor and founder-in-chief. How about that? uh of the ohio press network that'll be coming up as we've got a few ohio issues to discuss we have a few matters of of culture to discuss our culture and our cultural war we always look for leadership from dr everett piper when it comes to these matters uh dr piper is of course a best-selling author. He is a columnist with The Washington Times twice weekly. He is also uh, a podcast host. He hosts his radio podcast program called The Rebellion, which you should use. You should be able to listen to wherever you get your podcasts. And he is also um, a county commissioner in Osage County, Oklahoma. Dr. Piper, welcome back. Good to have you.
5: Always good to be on, Bob. Thanks. All
4: right, Dr. Piper. So really, really interesting piece this week in The Washington Times from you, and I want to talk uh, quite a bit about it. And That's why we're going to start with this. Muslim hostility toward America being drawn by a vacuum of values, virtue and Christian morality. You took an opportunity here to analyze the analysis of another commentator, this time Dinesh D'Souza, uh, with whom we are both very familiar. I interviewed him just a little over a week ago. uh, And um, I thought it was fascinating as we talk about why the Muslim world hates America uh, and why they hate it so much. And the argument or the question, I guess, at issue here is whether or not Muslims, Muslim rage directed at America is because America is too Christian or because it's not Christian enough. And you would think, well, Muslims are going to hate either one of those two things, I guess. But uh, Dinesh offered an analysis and you offered some critique of that. Go ahead.
5: Well, I essentially agree. Excuse me, let me start over. I, I essentially agree with Mr. D'Souza. I think he's got a very important point for us to attend to, and I and I talk about what he says in the context of this elementary principle of physics that we all know. It's the principle of the vacuum that a vacuum is always filled by something you know, when there's a vortex in the ocean or the black hole in the cosmos, or even your Hoover Hoover vacuum cleaner in your living room, the principle of the vacuum is that when you create one, something else is going to fill it. So we know that's true. But it's not just true in physics. It's true in philosophy. It's true about morality. So when there's an absence of goodness, cruelty is going to fill that absence, that void. When there's no love, What's going to fill that vacuum? Well, hate. Um, When there's no humility, you're going to have inevitable arrogance. And when you take away charity, i.e. Christian virtue and love, you're going to get gossip and vindictiveness. That's going to fill the vacuum. And we even hear it in biblical passages such as, where there is no vision, the people perish. Well, the absence of a vision is going to be filled by the vice that causes people to perish. We know this. This is a historical principle. Essentially, it's a law of human nature. Where there's a vacuum, it will be filled. If there isn't good stuff, then you're going to fill that vacuum with bad stuff. It kind of goes back to Richard Weaver's 1948 seminal work where he said ideas have consequences. Good ideas, you're going to have good culture. Bad ideas, you'll have bad culture. In other words, when you create a vacuum within culture, and you're not training up your progeny to be virtuous, you inevitably are going to have a culture that's prone to vice. Okay, D'Souza writes his column, and he basically says, look, we're assuming that the Muslim rage against the West, where it's America being the great Satan and whatnot, is because they're raging against Christianity, that it's the ongoing war of the Crusades, if you will. Well, Sousa is suggesting something otherwise, and he's actually quoting some radical Muslim teachers of the ages, for example, Saeed Quibb. Well, Saeed Quib is one of the founders of radical Islam, the violent overthrow of the West, at least in modern days. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the former Iranian president, Ahmadinejad, who essentially is saying the same thing as Saeed Quib. And they're both saying that we're not railing against you because of your... Christian virtue. We're railing against you not because you're too Christian, but because you're not Christian enough. We're railing against you because of your secularism and your immorality. We're not railing against the West because if it's Christian morality, we're railing against the West because you lost it. You no longer function and act like moral Christians. Now, is that to say they wouldn't find another reason to go after us if we were Christian enough? Well, I'm not arguing that that wouldn't take place, and I don't think Dines D'Souza is arguing that either. But right now we've given the Muslims an excuse and we've given moderate Muslims a reason to be pulled more deeply into the anti-West paradigm. Because when they see, when they see all of our debauchery, when they see all of our pornography, when they see all of our immorality, when they see us worshiping the material rather than the creator, when they see us doing all these things, Islam rightly gets the tackles up and says, wait a second, you guys are a bunch of morally debauched human beings, and we're going to fight you because you're anti-God, not because you're believers in God. Now, again, I want to make it clear that there are doctrines that I think Dinesh D'Souza sidesteps, and I'm not sure he would disagree with me right now. You only have a limited amount of time when you're writing an article, Mm -hmm. like the doctrine of abrogation, the doctrine of deception, the doctrine of conquest that is a part and parcel of Islamic theology and philosophy. Those doctrines make it very different than Christianity when it comes to tolerance and live and let live and all of us getting along. And doctrines would prevail even if we were Christian. But set those doctrines aside, we've given them a great excuse to hate us because we act like animals rather than than the imago Dei, the image of God in which we've been created.
4: So, um, essentially, what what Dinesh is describing and you are kind of supporting is that as long as you believe in something, the Muslims will be okay with it. As long as you believe in and practice um some sort of 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 faith and 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 prayer and 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 live uh you know a a life devoted to some sort of religious higher power we're okay if it's not Allah we just don't want you to be completely secular and believe in nothing is that i mean is that's a very simplistic summary but that kind of flies in the face of the long-held understanding that the goal of Islam, the goal of Muhammad's Islam, is world a worldwide caliphate in which everyone is subservient and submissive to Allah, um, and that if you are not one of them, you are an infidel, and you are to you are either to be converted or killed.
5: Well, I think both are in play here. So let me repeat what I just said: the doctrine of deception. Any good Muslim listening to this right now has to admit that the doctrine of deception is part of what it means to be Muslim, what it means to be um, within that faith. What's the doctrine of deception? They believe that God himself is a deceiver, and therefore it's okay for followers of Allah to deceive others for for the cause. So God's a liar, therefore I can lie. Okay, that's the doctrine of deception. Does that sound antithetical to Christianity? Absolutely. It's a different definition of God and therefore a different definition of morality. How about the doctrine of abrogation? People will talk about, well, you've got peaceful verses in the in the Quran. Well, you do, but they're the earlier verses. The peaceful verses of the Quran come very early in Muhammad's uh, life, because at that time he was a minority and he had to get along with Christians and Jews and others, pagans and whatnot in his culture, because he would lose. He knew it. He didn't have, he didn't have the critical mass to go to war. So in the early part of the Quran, you have peaceful verses. It's the later verses in the Quran that become more violent and, and, and more hostile to anybody that disagrees with them. Okay, jihad, overthrow of the Christian and the Jew and the pagan. Kill them, behead them. Those are the later verses. Well, what's the doctrine of abrogation? The later verses, according to a Muslim, always abrogate the earlier verses. They trump the earlier verses. Well, it's the exact opposite in Christianity. But if you people say well you've got violence in the, in the in the Old Testament too well yeah you do but most of the time almost 99% of the time when there's violence in the Old Testament it's descriptive literature it's not prescriptive literature God isn't telling us to go out and do it it's just a description of what took place in times of war and conflict there's exceptions to that but like I said 99% of the time it's a descriptive a passage rather than a prescriptive passage and the later verses in the Bible, the New Testament, and whatnot, are the verses that abrogate the more uh, challenging verses, the violent verses. So Christianity is the exact opposite. So um, there are problems with Muslim, with Islam. I, d- I don't dispute that. But here we've got a, a quote that I'll read from my column, and this Nestasusu cites it too. So I'm actually quoting him. Okay. Quoting the Pakistani uh, scholar, Kursheed Ahmad. He says this, had Western culture been based on Christianity, on morality, on faith, the language and modus operandi of the conflict would have been different. But that is not the case, he says. The choice is between the divine principle and the secular materialistic culture. So this Muslim scholar is saying, well, had you guys been good Christians, well, the conflict would have had to shift to something other than what you've allowed us to make it. You've allowed us to make it a conflict between... The divine and the decadent, and I agree. I think that's exactly what we've done because we've abandoned our Christian virtue.
4: So we're we're focused solely on obviously Christianity because that was what the point that Dinesh made in his piece. Um, and and you talk about filling the void where there is an absence, the void will be filled. Um, what what about the Judeo part of our Judeo Christian society? They don't focus on that, or at least Dinesh did not. Um, what what if we were more? On the Judeo than the Christian. If we were a, a majority Jewish country as opposed to a majority um, Christian country, which we are, even though again we share so many of the same values and and, and the Bible, or at least the Old Testament, um, would they treat? The, would the United States be essentially the same thing? Israel Is to them right now?
5: Um, I think I think the is, the nation of Israel suffering suffering the same fate as the United States right now. You have good conservative Bible. Uh, obedient Jews. But as a culture, uh, Israel is very pro-Rainbow LGBTQIA. Uh, the music festival that the Muslims attacked was not a wholesome music festival. I mean, uh, the, 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 you, you see, and I'm not, hey, I am not justifying at all. There is no justification for Hamas. But what I'm saying is that when we as a culture no longer define ourselves by modesty and we define ourselves instead by materialism and debauchery, when we flaunt sexuality rather than calling for sexual restraint, Islam, by and large, still has rules in these areas. And most Christians and Jews should agree with those rules, not because they're worshiping the right God, because, but because they have some basic moral parameters that aren't all that bad in terms of sexual restraint and, and, and whatnot. But when we abandon all those things, whether we be Jew or rather we be Christian, we're, we're basically telling the Muslim world that we have nothing to counteract you. We've created a vacuum here, and if your morality, if your uh, distinctions, if your definition of how people should behave um, it, 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 it can fill that vacuum, then so be it. And I think that's one of the reasons why young people today are drawn to Islam Disproportionately so. Why in the world would they be interested in a culture that is misogynistic and anti and uh, 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 pa- overly patriarchal and all this kind of stuff? Well, they're drawn to it because it has rules. And our Western culture, whether it be Jewish or whether it be the United States, is lost the parameters, the boundaries of rules. And therefore, the human spirit, the human being, always wants to know where the fence is, where the boundaries are. We function better when we know. And I think, uh, yes, the Judeo-Christian principle is very critical to our freedom. I've told you before on this show, there's research out there that shows that Moses is the most quoted scholar in early American um, literature. Uh, The first uh, 15, 20 years of all the documents that were published in the United States of America back in uh, that founding era, Moses is cited more than Locke and Montesquieu and Hume and Hobbes combined. So definitely. But what was Moses cited for? For his boundaries, for the fences of morality, for the, for the cause of living within a structured culture that actually has the paradox of giving you more freedom rather than less. That's why Moses was cited. But today we've torn down those fences. And what happens? Muslims would be happy to build the fences back up. They'd be happy to build them back up. And then we find ourselves losing our freedom because of the antithesis between Islam and Christianity,
4: I think it's a fascinating answer, and it's—and uh, I'm very curious. Well, not curious. I mean, I'm fascinated. I guess I'll be redundant um, with the with the statement that young people today crave boundaries. They, they want to know what those boundaries are you said because we function better but because the you know the, the, the belief that we see in our culture right now is don't tell us what to do don't tell me what to do you know uh, kids being separated from their parents you know ideologically uh, and and being told essentially to break apart from their thought especially if you want to become something that you know you are and they don't understand all of that stuff uh, you know, they kind of want they kind of want to go their own way and do their own thing but as you just described they actually crave boundaries
5: We all do. I mean, we can deny it, and we love to say we're autonomous, we have no boundaries. But then even the people that say they want absolute autonomy are quick to turn around and try to paint boundaries around you because you won't honor their absolute autonomy. The people that say, I can't tolerate your intolerance. So even those who claim that they just despise the intolerant are by default admitting that the definition of what should be tolerated needs to become in play, and that definition can't be set by the individual. The autonomous individual It has to be set by something with greater authority than you and me, because it doesn't work otherwise. And we recognize intuitively, I would argue, as a culture, as a people, that sooner or later, somebody's going to have to draw a boundary. Wasn't it Bob Dylan that said, sooner or later, you're going to worship somebody? It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to worship somebody.
4: There you go. I'm not a huge Bob Dylan fan, but I'll take your word on that last part of that. Uh, Dr. Piper, we don't have a ton of time left to talk about your Ask Dr. E, but let's talk about postmodernism. The question that you were asked this week was about postmodern colleges. I've heard you talk about how our American colleges and universities, for those who don't recall or maybe don't know if they're new listeners, you are, of course, a former university president. Universities have become postmodern and why that is a bad thing. I'm not sure I understand what postmodernism is and what its dangers are. Could you explain further? We're going to have to give you maybe a two or three minute thumbnail sketch version of that, but go ahead.
5: Okay. Uh, Postmodernism is the rejection of all boundaries. Okay, if you want to, again, I need to be very quick and very brief here, but this is a great discussion. I would love to do it at further length with you at a different time. Postmodernity modernity was, uh, you got pre, pre-modernity, modernity, and, uh, uh, and then post-modernity. Pre-modernity was, truth was revelational, Judeo-Christian. Revelation, truth was outside of man. Something bigger and better than us defined what was true. Modernity comes along and says, no, the only thing that's true is what we side is true empirically. If you can taste it, test it, see it, and feel it, and hear it, then it's true. If you can't, it ain't so. So science. Premodern, revelation. um, Modern is science, and then postmodern. So premodern, you could say, is supernatural. Modern is simply natural. And then postmodern is what? Superman. In postmodernity, it's not the material, it's not the empirical any longer, it's just you and me. We define what's right. We define what's wrong. So pre modern, supernatural, modern, simply natural, postmodern, superman, the Ubermensch. Okay? Okay. Thirty Got seconds. It. Thirty seconds. Our university are our universities are entirely postmodern. University of Michigan, for example, okay, this is an Ohio broadcast, so y'all ought to appreciate this. You can walk the U of M. They actually had a class they put in their course catalog a few years ago on the ethics of corporate leadership. And the description of that course said, this course does not deal with the personal moral issues of truthfulness and honesty, close quote. Well, what the heck are you (laughs) talking about when you're teaching ethics if you're not going to claim that truthfulness and honesty mattered? They then went on in the same course description and said, it is assumed that all students attending this university have already drawn what? Their own conclusions on these matters. That's postmodernity, and it's a terrible recipe. For culture, culture yeah.
4: collapses. I encourage everybody to read that entire article and Doctor E's response to this uh, uh, to this question about postmodernism and particularly in universities. He's right; it mocks Michigan, the University of Michigan, which you're going to like anyway. But it's just great information. I encourage you to follow Doctor E, Doctor Piper, on uh, uh, Twitter at Doctor Everett Piper. There's two T's on Everett. D R Everett Piper on Twitter. Read his work both uh, both columns each week each week on the Washington Times, plus commentary on other matters of great importance. Dr. Piper, awesome analysis. Really enjoyed every bit of that. And we will have to uh, dedicate a, a, a special time to talk solely about uh, postmodernism and uh, and modernity modernity um, uh, in full. We'll do that another time. And thank you so much, sir. All right.
5: Bless you. Bye-bye. Uh,
4: bless you, too. It's Dr. Everett Piper. It's 1027. We'll take our time out here. I've got non-doctor Jack Windsor, who's going to join us next, the uh, founder and editor-in-chief of the Ohio Press Network. That'll be coming up on Always Right With.
0: giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer.
4: All right, we move onward at 1035 on AM 1420. The answer, thank you again to uh, Dr. Everett Piper. Really, really great stuff this week in his two uh, columns. Uh, Read them both. Again, they're in the Washington Times. You can find them tweeted uh, from his uh, feed at uh, Dr. Everett Piper. Two T's in Everett. Uh, Really good stuff there. By the way, he's going to be my interview uh, today. We'll be taping for Strictly Speaking, and it will be an episode that airs within the next couple of weeks. We're uh, we're really generating some phenomenal, phenomenal guests and uh, getting some great conversations going on, Strictly Speaking. The one that is uh, running right now, the most recent one to drop was yesterday. was Alan Dershowitz, former uh, Harvard law professor and uh, one of the most respected legal minds in the history of criminal law in the United States, maybe constitutional law as well. So Alan Dershowitz is uh, currently running on Roku, along with all of the other uh, Dr. Naomi Wolf, Dr. Robert Malone, um, just uh, terrific stuff. So make sure you check out Strictly Speaking. It's on the True Blue app. It's also on Roku Channel 529. True Blue Channel is Roku 529. It's also on TCL televisions. It will soon be on Plex and Tubi, which are other streamers in which you can watch these shows absolutely free on any smart TV or with any uh, um, uh, Roku or Fire Stick devices. All right, let's bring in our good friend Jack Windsor from the Ohio Press Network back to us on AM 1420, The Answer. We used to talk to Jack weekly, but then he started doing his own radio, uh, sitting in for uh, the great Bruce Hooley on The Answer, our sister station down in Columbus. So he's a little busy these days, but he does find time for us once in a while, including this morning. Jack, good morning.
6: Bob, uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for choosing me. It's great to be back.
4: Always a pleasure. Let's talk about some of the great work that is always being done at the Ohio Press Network, uh, which I encourage people to subscribe to at theohiopressnetwork.com. Jack, there's a big bill that's been uh, been uh, proposed and sponsored by Scott Wiggum and DJ Swearengine. I've had my uh, back and forth with DJ Swearengine uh, in in recent uh, months over the core over the uh, uh, Blue Twenty Two situation, but they are sponsoring legislation that would make contractors and subcontractors in our state do something that i think many of us would really really like to see happen verify the legal status of these people that they hire to be hired the immigration status that is at least when it comes to public works projects can you tell us more
6: yeah so once it's implemented there's an e-verify program that will help identify whether a a worker or or, a subcontractor subcontractor is here legally or not. And my understanding is they'd be able to find out within about three to five seconds, which is awesome. And so obviously that that takes away human trafficking. Sometimes we think of human trafficking as a sexual thing. Human trafficking also involves putting people to work for long periods of time and, and basically treating them like slave labor. Uh, and then also helps make sure that certified Americans are getting the jobs that they deserve, uh, during Bidenomics. So, uh, on, on the, I don't know, the first blush of the bill, it's, uh, House Bill 327. And if listeners want to go to legislature.ohio.gov, uh, they can read the text of the bill. Uh, it is currently in House Committee and it looks like it's uh, House Commerce and Labor Committee. So, uh, it is a new bill, and I'm looking forward to see how this progresses through the legislative
4: process. Yeah, it should be uh, it should be a no brainer, right? I mean, I I, I, yeah. I I can't imagine too many Democrats would even want to go on on the record and vote against something that just simply says, yeah, if you are going to work here in a public works project, you have to be an actual, uh, you know, legal uh, resident of this of this state, um, you know, and and not here illegally. I don't think that should be something or would be anything that anybody would have a hard time uh, agreeing with, right?
6: That's right. And, and by the way, it would also apply to not only contractors and subcontractors doing government work, but also companies of 75 or more employees would, would also have to verify. And so I need to get into the innards of the bill and, and just make sure because, Bob, this is kind of a cautionary tale for all pieces of legislation, even those introduced by Republicans. We just did a podcast yesterday on Ohio's High Hazard Training Certification Act. Well, on the surface, that sounds like a really good bill because who doesn't want training high levels of training for workers who are in in high hazard environments. Well, when you get into the bill, you see it's actually essentially ripped from the, the Bidenomics playbook and its green energy cronyism. This bill seems to be separate than that. And when you consider that some of the funding going to help the border crisis from the Biden administration, it's helping all right. It's helping bring illegals into the country. So this is one way we can stop.
4: We're talking to Jack Windsor, the uh, editor-in-chief of The Ohio Press Network, online at theohiopressnetwork.com. Jack, you and I spoke on your program down in Columbus, or Bruce's program down in Columbus, about um, uh, Issue 1 and the fact that it passed and how it passed and what that portends for the future of legislation or getting things um, into law, whether it be the Ohio Revised Code or, more likely now, uh, into the directly into the Ohio Constitution by way of the direct democracy prog- process. You wrote and talked extensively about the dark money that was used to fund issue one and including money that came from not just outside the state of Ohio, but outside of the United States. Um, Can you can you give us a bit of uh, of insight into what you think that means going forward? If dark money can be raised to pass this constitutional amendment, they're they're already targeting their next one, aren't they?
6: They really are. And so, you know, after issue one passed, I said, we need to pay attention. We need to pivot and we need to play the long game. Part of paying attention is understanding what just happened. Well, what just happened is that Planned Parenthood and the ACLU came in. And by the way, Planned Parenthood is projected to spend over a billion dollars. That's what it'd be over the next two years all around the country doing in other states what they just did in Ohio and what they just did was they created a constitutional amendment that was written broadly enough, and then they had enough money to get behind the campaign to promote it. And, of course, they had their cronies in the press that were going to pitch it as something that it wasn't. And so by pouring a ton of money in, what they did was they got Ohioans to vote for something they thought codified Roe v. Wade or protected women's reproductive health or eliminated the abortion ban, and it really didn't. It has now opened the door for limitless abortion up to birth. And it will result in court cases where actors that are part of the activist network of Planned Parenthood, the ACLU and the Marxist Dark Money groups, are going to pick venues where judges are favorable to their cause. And they're going to bring a lawsuit and say, see where it says every individual? That means that this minor can get the abortion. That means that this minor can get the puberty blockers. And some judge somewhere in Ohio Um, That drinks the blue Kool-Aid is going to come down on the side of stripping parents of their rights. So that's what we're in for. That's a battle that you're going to see played out in other states where there's a low 50 percent plus one threshold to amend the state constitution.
4: Yeah. And we uh, we tried to warn people of this uh, prior to that special election in August, and uh, and not enough people were listening. So so let's let's talk about some of the other things that they're going to try to do. You know, we talk about redistricting. We talk about guns. That's one of the things, things we didn't get to in our last conversation together. Um, I was going to bring up to you guns. I, I absolutely believe that um, firearms restrictions, whether it be, you know, they're talking about bump stocks or whether they're talking about uh, clips or, or, or ammunition or caliber or whatever kinds of restrictions they could do, Red flag loss if they can't get it done through the Ohio legislature because they actually you know, uh, uphold the Constitution there, they send them, fine, we'll screw that. We'll, we'll change the Constitution. They're going to go back and go after guns here as well. Thoughts on that?
6: 100%. The next step will be the redistricting commission. I want to hit that first because what they'll try to do is replace elected officials with citizens and citizens that are handpicked by Marxists. So essentially what they'll do is they'll gerrymander the maps in favor of uh democrats so then democrats might be able to take more seats in the state house and and the state senate and the united states congress uh which would just accelerate the speed with which they bring in their progressive policies and uh the gun issue is not going to go away it's kind of like abortion they're going to pump thump that uh and and they're going to position it just like they did the abortion amendment it's going to be something that's created probably attached to this idea of mental health or community crisis right and in certain parts you've got to be able to eliminate the risk that guns present. And and I, I promise you they're going to present it as something palatable and something that's common sense. But when you get behind it, you're going to go, wait a minute. We just gave the government the right to reallocate. And that's, that's the other thing. They're not banning anything, Bob. When we talk about gun restrictions, what they're doing is they're taking the opportunity and, and, and the fear to leverage and take guns and the rightful ownership of guns from law abiding citizens and they're pushing it over here to i don't know state funded actors uh, people that you probably don't want to have <laughs> the guns when push comes to shove you know in the apocalypse
4: well, no, the, of course. Uh, and, and the whole reason for the Second Amendment is so that we can have them because the state already has them. Uh, you know, they already have their sure. own. We have to be able to fight back against tyranny, whether it be domestic or our own government or another one coming in. So, But the point here, though, is that because they have now proven that the constitutional amendment process works in their favor and they are unlimited in their funding. You mentioned Planned Parenthood. They spent, I don't even know how much of the 35 to $40 million that were spent on issue one here came from them, but they're committed to a billion doing this everywhere else. We knew we were going to be a test state by the way Uh, you know the first domino to fall if you will when it comes to abortion across the land on demand uh, all the way up until the moment of birth but They found these groups and they found these organizations. They even found Swiss financiers, which you pointed out in a previous article about Issue 1 in August. They found all of these things. They literally will be able to wage a propaganda campaign, and this is the last part I'll ask you about, Jack, that does not have to be accurate. It does not have to be honest. I have so many people calling my program and talking about how mad they are about the Issue 1 ads that were false, that were literally blatantly stating false things, and they're asking how they can get away with it. In my answer, being a non attorney, is that because there's no one really um, that can say I was the one damaged, I was the one defamed by said lie. Oh. If a candidate in an election against another candidate tells easily provable lies, well, they can hold them accountable and say, I was defamed. But if you just say, this is what the Ohio uh, heartbeat law says and it's not true, well, who's who's the harmed plaintiff here that has to prove harm and prove damages in a court of law that would make them think twice about doing it again? And the answer is nobody. And so they, there's, they, they have no threat to lie, which is, which is what they're going to do to get these other things like redistricting uh, and, and guns and so many other things in the Constitution.
6: There's a reason that the press was given the, the moniker, the Fourth Estate. You have the legislature, the judiciary, and the executive branches of government. And then you have what's called the Fourth Estate. And the Fourth Estate is responsible for investigating and reporting back to the citizens who empower the other three with their money. Their power and their votes, reporting back to them the truth, so that they can uh, go to the ballot box and change things if they if they don't like what's going on. The problem is the fourth estate has long been compromised, and what I've uncovered, particularly with issue one, there's really there's really two types of people who are reporting misinformation. There are people who are ignorant; they're not doing the homework. They talk to the person in the Rolodex who is the legal expert or the medical expert, but they don't go back and look and see that, wow, this person contributed 320 times to Democrats over his life. So he's probably not a neutral source that I want to cite. Or if I do cite him, I probably need to recognize and help readers connect the dots that this guy's a liberal or a progressive. So there's ignorance. But then Bob, here's the other hard part. There are people who are just in on it and they're okay with it because they've been swallowing the blue poison pill of progressivism through middle school, high school, college, and they think in their being that America was founded by racist settlers and baked into the system is disadvantaged for certain groups of people, and they want to tear it all down. And I think they're giddy and happy about reporting half-truths and misinformation because that quickens the destruction of the country.
4: That is, you're exactly right. And you know what else? It quickens their pulse. They get excited by it. They do. They get excited they by passing and pushing through things that they know are going to be completely um, despised by the other side. And if they can do it while cheating to get a—I I mean, I hate to make it sound like it's everybody is so nefarious, but they are. I really believe that. I think they get excited by it. I think it rushes their adrenaline when they can push their agenda through without the truth being put out there. It makes it that much sweeter for them. That's just. Amen. And, you know, an element Amen. into it. Go ahead.
6: And, and and real quick, I would say make sure you pay attention to who's funding these groups. I mean, we have one. I call them a tabloid now. We have one tabloid in Columbus, Ohio, that when you go back and look at their seed money, they were funded by the Hopewell Fund and Arabella Advisors. Well, who's that? The, that's the group that moves around money for George Soros and Hans Georg Biss, who is the Swiss billionaire that you mentioned earlier. Right. The same group of people are funding these news outlets. The problem mm-hmm. is these news outlets now have progressive journalists who have seeped into News Channel 5 in Cleveland, uh, NBC6 in, in Columbus, uh, Axios, Columbus, Cleveland.com. And so you have these people who are pollinated with this progressive reporting pension, and they're out there pushing half-truth and you know unsuspecting consumers of news are gobbling it up.
4: Well, that that's exactly right. That's a great way to say it. Unsuspecting consumers of news because they don't know what they're being told. Jack, last thing, I know you've only got a minute left because you've got to get ready for your own broadcast. But um, real quick, normally we talk about Ohio things, but since you have a piece on it and some commentary on the OhioPressNetwork.com site about the uh, passing of that short-term CR, Um, they, they pulled in a ton of Republicans to support this thing. I think only 70 of them opposed it. So it was a massive bipartisan win for Mike Johnson, but it included nothing that Republicans typically hold out for, including spending cuts. Thoughts on that? Yeah. I
6: talked with Congressman Jim Jordan earlier today uh, to tape a segment that will, um, will air on the show today. And we talked about that very issue and. It does a couple of things. It kicks down the road to January and February, these 12 appropriations bills. And it does essentially, I mean, I, the silver lining in the cloud, its it doesn't dump an omnibus bill on the lap of lawmakers prior to Christmas that they have to sign. So they can custom and discuss these 12 different appropriations bills. But a lot of people, including Jim Jordan, say, you know, we had an opportunity. We had a lever here to pull to say, no, we're not going to roll over anymore. We're going to do something serious about the border, and we're going to make sure that we have deep Spending cuts here, and they didn't do it, and so I think that's where some of the outrage comes from the conservative side of the Republican Party because they go, you know, every opportunity that you have to make a dent in this, you kick the can down the road.
4: That's exactly what they do, and it's uh, it's and it's we are the ones who continue to pay the price. We are thirty three trillion dollars in debt. We have a two trillion dollar operating budget deficit, and we are going to continue with Nancy Pelosi's spending. Because just just so people know that until there's a new budget, we're operating on the old budget and a continuing resolution of the same budget priorities that Nancy Pelosi passed when she was the speaker. And uh, and we do all of that. um, And and Republicans say, okay, we're in. And then we just kick it on down another two months. It's unbelievable. Jack Windsor, keep up the great work. Remind everybody again, subscribe to TheOhioPressNetwork.com. The Ohio Press Network. Jack, appreciate it.
6: Bob, thank you so much. All right, good to talk to you.
4: All right, that's Jack Windsor. We'll take a timeout here at 1051. And uh, the rest of the show is ours together, 216 9010945 Either one of those numbers gets you here. I'll let you choose the topics for the next hour. Plus, it's actually about a full hour now that we're going to go to about 1145. <clears throat> until Bill, Bill O'Reilly takes us home to the noon hour. So uh, I want your thoughts, 216-90, or questions, 901-0945 on Always Right Radio. Okay, 1056, thanks to uh, Jack Windsor. Uh, a lot of important stuff going on there in the state of Ohio, a lot of legislation, a lot of fights. By the way, how can you not love Molly Smith I get I still get inspired her messages her two-minute monologue messages that she continues to uh, air uh, in 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 the fight uh, to save babies lives she's not wavered one bit huge defeat that we suffered on uh, Tuesday November 7th and she just says the fight isn't even started yet you know we're only just barely beginning we are not going to give up until all lives are saved and I think that's uh, just fantastic So anyway, Molly's inspirational, and uh, I know there are a lot of people who are trying to find ways legally in the Ohio General Assembly, our state legislature right now, to mitigate some of the things that were in that very, very vaguely worded and thus perhaps possibly unconstitutional constitutional amendment. Uh, What can they do from the legislative perspective? We're going to wait and see, but a lot of good stuff from Jack. There. Let's take a call from Tanya before the top of the hour. Tanya in Akron. Hi, Tanya, fire away.
9: Hey, Bob. How are you? Uh, I love Dr. Piper this morning. Uh, But I also think that, you know, him and uh, who was it that wrote the article? Uh, I can't think of his name. The movie guy.
4: Uh, Dinesh D'Souza.
9: Dinesh D'Souza. You know, we look at religion, but we live in a post, you know, our religion is postmodernism. All of our social, uh, cultural establishments that used to bind us. Look at the Boy Scouts, our group clubs that we used to hold up as things that would support our values. They've gone woke too. You know, if they would've just stood along the lines of supporting traditional Judeo-Christian values, We wouldn't be in a position, this is a 100-year war against God. And how we take it back, either start our own organizations or take back those organizations. And I'm on the part of taking back our organizations, taking back our schools, taking back the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, taking back our churches. What happened to that? Pope, it was that uh, uh, bishop in Texas where the Pope kicked him out because he called him out. You know, we need to stand up. These are our institutions. These are not the leaders of our these institutions. Institutions. These are ours. These are where we put our money. And until we start fighting with our voices, with our money, nothing's going to
8: change.
4: Well, I'll tell you what, uh, and thank you, Tanya, for the call. You're right, and we do have to take all of those things back. It can start with something as simple as, um, I don't know, our television parades. The Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade that almost everybody watches every year and has been for decades on Thanksgiving morning, one week from today. I don't know if you're going to want to watch it this time around. Non-binary and transgender extravaganza. That is what Macy says will be featured in the Thanksgiving Day parade. We can't even take that back. Or can we? We'll talk about that some more. And uh, whatever else is on your mind at 2169010945 next hour on Always Right Radio.
0: This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and keepingmedicaresimple.com.
1: You and I know
4: Alrighty then. Hour number three is underway at eight minutes past 11 o'clock. Thanks for being with us. Thanks also to my guests, Jack Windsor and Dr. Everett Piper. Uh, a little bit earlier on, if you missed either one of those things, you can catch it in the podcast at whkradio.com, whkradio.com, coming up in about uh, an hour or so, usually uh, within the within the first hour after the end of the broadcast. All of that stuff is loaded for you for anything that you may miss because of your work schedule or whatever reasons you might not have been listening. So, we're going to have kind of an open line situation here, but I am going to start the uh uh the hour with a, with a story that kind of follows up on one thing that I said to Jack Windsor at the end when I talked about uh you know there there are machinations going on in the Ohio General Assembly in which the uh, uh, legislators are working to find a legal legislative way to undo some of the damage done by the um constitutional amendment that was passed on November 7th. Some people say, oh, why are you trying to undo the will of the voters? Why don't you respect the will of the voters? Well, you know, did the voters really know what they were doing? Did they really express their will with with issue one? Or did they get lied to for, you know, six solid months? I mean, literally going back to the summertime and even before the August 8th special election, the lies were aflowing. By uh, and funded by lies funded by tens of of millions of dollars of dark money, you know, and they put so many ads on that really confuse people. That really were were dishonest. So you know, and and not to mention the vague language of it, kind of calls into question whether or not anything that was done in that constitutional amendment should undo a law like the heartbeat law. So there's a lot of work going on in Congress. Is the is the you know short version here or not in Congress, but in the General Assembly, to try to perhaps minimize the damage there. But here's a headline from this morning that I think you should probably have a look at. What is the commitment of the legislators who are pro-life to actually doing something about this in 2024? And apparently that answer is very, very little, very, very small commitment. Senate President Matt Huffman said on the night that we lost that that huge election that we were going to do something about it. And now he has pulled back completely and said we shouldn't do anything about it in 2024. This story is in uh, cleveland.com. A top Republican state lawmaker who issued a fiery election night statement describing a revolving door of future ballot issues. That's what Matt Huffman said we would have. A revolving door of future ballot issues to try to, you know, find holes in the constitutional amendment that was just passed so that we can continue to try to protect life or at least, you know, stop some of the most extreme portions of that uh, that amendment. He said there would be uh, a revolving door. Quote, this isn't the end. It's really just the beginning of a revolving door of ballot campaigns to repeal or replace issue one. Repeal, of course, would involve another constitutional amendment. That might be the way to go. Or it might be something through the legislative process in the General Assembly. So that's what he said um, on election night. But now, speaking with reporters just yesterday... Senate President Matt Hoffman expressed interest in banning abortion after 15 weeks into pregnancy, something that Republicans have gravitated toward as a potentially less controversial alternative to a full abortion ban or a six-week ban like the one Ohio Republicans passed in 2019. That's not accurate. It's a heartbeat ban. It's when the heartbeat can be detected. It's not six weeks static, first of all. But number two, um, that sort of change would require another constitutional amendment, that Huffman said should not happen next year. And I quote: "I don't think there should be anything on the ballot. Certainly in 2024, and we'll have to see about that going forward." End quote. It begs the question: Why the why this sudden change? Why the shift in attitude? To from we're going to go after this immediately to let's not do anything for over a year. Um, Huffman said, there's going to have to be a lot of soul searching in the pro-life community and among a lot of other folks about what the steps forward are. So why the pullback, why the, you know, the, the retreat from the pledge of, you know, revolving door of, of, of legislation and opportunities to try to limit or repeal or replace issue one. I don't know. I don't understand. Um, Huffman's statement was widely perceived on election night to be describing legislative plans to counter the amendment, given his position and lawmakers' ability to put constitutional amendments up for a vote. Spokesperson on Wednesday said Huffman was merely referencing the potential for outside groups to do so, but not necessarily um, Ohio Republicans, General Assembly Republicans, legislators. Ahead of last week's vote, abortion opponents had discussed some sort of subsequent ballot issue as a contingency plan should voters approve issue one. Their first chance to do so would be in the primary election in March, which has an associated filing deadline in December. So they would have to be getting to work on this very, very quickly to get this on the ballot in March. A handful of House Republicans also announced a bill which was panned by experts as patently unconstitutional that would strip authority from the courts to interpret the new abortion language approved through issue one. But any support a quick response may have had from top Republicans seems now to have dissipated. And indeed it does. My question is why? It's very, very frustrating. And it's very, I mean, maybe there is an answer. Maybe there's a reason why doing it right now is foolhardy. And we need to think it out a little bit more deeply and strategize a little better. But for now, it just looks like, wait a minute, what happened to the pledge? And that pledge is gone, apparently being abandoned to, um, uh, to indeed you know, create a revolving door of legislation and uh, amendments and petitions and whatnot, To And legal challenges, because there's a huge, huge or uh, several huge questions about the legality and the constitutionality of the language in issue one that was passed. Um, the story continues in the following days. Governor Mike DeWine, Speaker Jason Stevens and Republican Party Chair Alex Triantafilu all called for the party to wait until the issue plays itself out before pursuing next steps. Some Republicans also privately have said they don't want the issue to appear on the ballot in 2024 when Sherrod Brown faces what is expected to be a tough high stakes reelection campaign. And therein we do find perhaps part of the reason, again, when I talk about strategy, two seconds ago. So maybe there's a good reason. This might be one of them. Sherrod Brown is expecting a tough, high-stakes re-election campaign, which would bring out what? A high turnout of Democrat voters there to keep that Senate seat with Sherrod Brown. High turnout of Sherrod Brown voters means high turnout of... Um, opposition to any amendment that would repeal the recently passed issue one. So there's a good point there, Huffman said Wednesday. He thinks Ohioans approved issue one to express their disapproval of the status quo in Ohio when it comes to abortion. He said he thinks the th- uh, thinks the through line between that and state issue two, in which voters legalized recreational weed is that Ohioans don't want government telling them what to do. Huffman then brought up the 15-week abortion ban as one potential future option. I think people were saying we ought to have a change for how abortion is in Ohio. People mentioned the 15 weeks and the exceptions and things like that, and clearly there is a majority of, of, of people in Ohio who feel that way. It's not the way I feel, and it's not the way people who elected me feel, end quote. He's right about that. It's not the way I feel either. But if how many how many babies lives after 15 weeks <clears throat> excuse me how many babies lives would be saved if we did have a 15 week ban in place now again is that perfect no because again the heartbeat law i think is the right law because it literally says when that heartbeat is detected there is another being there I mean, of course, you can make the argument from the moment of uh, conception, the moment of fertility, fertilization, you know, the, another being is there. But specifically when a uh, a preborn child has its own body systems developing and a heart developing and so forth, it's, it's to me, that's the right thing. But if we can't have that and a 15-week ban was possible, uh, along with exceptions and so forth, how many thousands and thousands of babies post-pain capability at, at week 15 could be saved? That is a very reasonable point of view to take. It's not ideal, but it's a reasonable point of view to take. The problem, though, as I see it, is this. Now that they won on issue one by such an overwhelming margin, 13 and a half, almost 14 points. What motivation would they have to negotiate in any way any kind of restriction? They got an unrestricted until the moments of birth abortion Uh, constitutional amendment passed? Why would they then go back on their own, you know, my body, my choice mantra to limit it to 15 weeks? Why would they want to do that? Why would they have any willingness to do that? All of the voters who voted for unlimited abortion would probably vote for, uh, you know, vote against, I should say, a limit of 15 weeks. To the Sharon Brown portion of that question, And about whether or not his turnout would, uh, you know, of course, be a a big problem for the pro-life crowd. Uh, If Sherrod Brown's voters come out to save his Senate seat, I think there's something to that. I can give you another update. According to the most recent survey, Sherrod Brown is still in a very comfortable position in terms of beating back the challenge from either Frank uh, LaRose, Matt Dolan, or Bernie Marino. According to the latest numbers, um, he is continuing his lead over Matt Dolan, over Frank LaRose, and Bernie Moreno by 10 points. Moreno, that part, was by 10 points. Um, it's a little bit closer for Dolan, a little bit closer for LaRose, but they're still pretty comfortable outside of the margin of error, at least in the most recent survey. So, what does that mean going forward? I guess you can figure that out for yourself. There's still a long time, to, you know, a long way to go between now and that that Senate election race. Or a Senate election, uh, I should say. But, um, but for now, I can understand why maybe, just maybe, putting um, a constitutional amendment on the abortion issue on at a time when LaRose, or excuse me, when Sherrod Brown is going to be fighting for his Senate seat and it's going to bring a ton of Democrats out in his place, it would indeed perhaps be defeating of the, uh, of the new abortion repeal slash replace. All right, and 888 281 Let's get it going. Jim is in West Park. Hi, Jim. Go ahead. Morning, Bob. Morning, Jim.
2: Uh, remember we talked about this Father Doug Kosol from Blessed Trinity. I want to read two lines from his bulletin this last Sunday. Okay. Okay. In this time of violence... We call for an immediate, unconditional ceasefire. We also call for an end to Israelis' military occupation of Palestine, which we view as the root cause of the violence. And that upset me. That really got me uh, it got uh, in, under my skin. I know I, I've told you, you talked about it for two days when he made some points about the uh, uh, Pope John Paul and that, so um, I I just want to uh, Jim Jim
4: before you continue, remind me his name again.
2: Father Doug Kosel.
4: Yeah, that's right. I do remember those conversations with you. Spell Kosel. Uh, K O. Let's
2: see, K O E S E L. He's okay. the pastor
4: there. Yeah, you sent me that uh, that those comments before, and we did talk about it for some time. And it's uh, it just amazes me that our faith leaders continue to turn um, away from you know the, the the Christian principles and values that we hold so dear. And uh, he did it before, and now it sounds like he's doing it again. This was in this was where this was in uh, on their website, or
2: yeah, what it's that, that's in his bulletin. Uh, the par the but I think they post on, but I
4: think I read it on the website right he, he, they post his bulletin online I think i don 't know okay
2: but okay. And, and then uh we need everybody needs these three books invisible treason in America, government gangsters by cash Patel and that's who Jim Jordan was talking about mm-hmm. with the with the uh, uh Abram Accords, he didn't give him his name, maybe he was trying to protect the guy, because I'm sure he's under fire, and Perfidy, P-E-R-F-I-D-Y, I picked that up off of Lisa Woods' table uh, on Saturday, it's about missing in a- the government cabal that knowingly abandoned our prisoners of war and left them behind, to die, and that was
4: okay. the policies I, I'm not,
2: of John Kerry and and John McCain that changed our laws illegally.
4: I, I don't I don't dispute that. That's a very interesting read, uh, but I, I just kind of want to focus on one thing here on one call, and that is uh, Kosal's uh, uh, piece. I'm looking for it right now, and I'm not finding it, Jim. If you can send it to me one way or another. Um, I would very much like to undertake this again, because if this is what our faith leaders are saying, that human beings who are persecuted and who are attacked mercilessly the way the uh, the Israeli Jews are, don't have the right to defend themselves and that they should just quiet out, quiet their, you know, close their mouths, quiet down and just sit there and wait for the next brutal, horrific, atrocious terrorist act against them. Um, we've got a problem. We have the right to defend ourselves. And I think it's uh, it's it's demeaning to all people of faith, particularly those in the Roman Catholic diocese to have a God like this saying that Israel is to blame for the for the victimization that they suffered. And that's exactly what you just said to me with the quote that you just gave me from his uh, from his uh, bulletin. Is that he said that Israel is the source of the problem that they are occupying the Palestinian land, which is absolutely fundamentally wrong. So either Father Kostel is an anti-Semite as well, who doesn't want to recognize Israel's right to exist and thus the Israeli Jews that live there, or he is just fundamentally misunderstanding the realities of the history of that uh, of that of that holy land of Israel. Um, and I want to know. I want to know what the the diocese is doing about it.
2: Mail office. At BlessedTrinityCleveland.org, website, BlessedTrinityCleveland.org. Blessed. And, his, and his, uh, his other guy, uh, you know, he sits up on the altar and reads the gospel, and then he's bashing Donald Trump the next word.
4: <sighs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh... he's,
2: got a, he's got a scroll out in front of his place, a big neon sign, Black Lives Matter, which is a, a communist organization.
4: It is indeed, it and it's so, and it's also it's also a domestic terrorist organization. They sided with and 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 publicly backed um, Hamas in what just happened on October seventh. Did BLM? So by by posting or, or or hanging that banner or whatever it is that you said he has up there, it's remarkable. I mean, do, do you talk to any of the parishioners who go to his uh, his sermons and 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 what kind of feedback do you get?
2: I I don't go near the guy. I don't I I don't. And Katie works there. How'd you
4: How'd you start getting the bulletin?
2: Katie works there. She runs the place.
4: Oh, okay. So you don't, but you don't. So you don't know what the, the parishioners there if they're all in line with what he See,
2: says. Most of the conservative people left. There's a handful of people that go to church, okay. mostly old folks.
4: All right, all right. Well, listen, Jim, I appreciate you making me aware. Um, I will look that up, and uh, and, and I'll find it, because I do remember finding it on their website last time as well in the bulletin for that church. So thank you for the heads up, uh, and uh, call back again. It's 1125. I'm going to take a time out here. And I do believe I have it. The November 12th bulletin from the desk of Father Doug Coso. Yep, there it is. Blessed Trinity Catholic Church. We'll see if I can find the lines he was talking about. And if you want to react to that or anything else, 216-901-0945 I'm Always Right Radio.
0: Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer.
4: Okay, 1133, let's take that out of the reverb, if we could, as we uh, continue on AM 1420, the answer. Thank you, good sir. We'll go right back to the phone. Since, Oh, by the way, I do have it in front of me. He's right. Everything Jim said is right. It's from the November 5th Church Bulletin of Blessed Trinity, Trinity Catholic Church on Puritas in Cleveland. Father Doug Kosal has a very lengthy, quote-unquote, prayer in which he does exactly what Jim just said. Blames Israel for its own assault from Hamas, blames Israel for military occupation of Palestine, which is not, first of all, there is no Palestine. Second of all, there is no military occupation of Gaza. But he does say this is what we view as the cause of the violence. There shall be no more uh, uh, rockets, guns, or missiles fired, no more tanks, no more loss of life whatsoever. We call for an immediate and unconditional ceasefire. So in other words, this priest who makes me sick to my stomach to even say I'm a Catholic if he's allowed to be ordained and allowed to remain in charge of a parish of impressionable people, of faithful people, this priest wants Israel destroyed. You understand that? He wants Israeli Jews killed. There is no other way to read that. Because any ceasefire is never honored by terrorists like Hamas. There was a ceasefire on October 6th. October 7th, what happened? 1,400 dead in the most brutal and barbaric manners you can possibly imagine. 4,000 of them maybe who wished they were dead because of the horrific tortures that they suffer to this moment and he says, nope, no, it's Israel's fault. Israel, end your military occupation of Palestine, which we view as the root cause of the violence. Israel should be wiped out by Hamas, is what the message you are being, that is being delivered by this priest in this Catholic church in Cleveland, Ohio. I am disgusted. I am... I am Deep breaths... Sometimes are necessary to cleanse the soul and to stop the tongue from saying things that it uh, it should not. Um, obviously, we will attempt and fail to get Father Kosel to discuss his viewpoints on this radio program. We tried last time, and of course we were rebuffed. I'm sure we will again because he doesn't want to have this conversation and this debate and this discussion because he, well obviously has, uh, I don't know, he may be soulless himself. I am just so repulsed by the fact that the Catholic Church allows these people to be our faith leaders. John is in Berea. John, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Go ahead.
10: Yes. Um, what I want to say, we have to be careful. Do we want to get uh, at least conservatives? We've got to get uh, Sherrod Brown out of there. The bottom, you know, we just passed this by a large part, as you mentioned. The The problem is, is that Apparently, gone on Highlands—they're they're more invested in being able to kill their, have their children killed if they don't want them, more so than other issues. So they'll jump to 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 vote to have the, their the children killed, uh, 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 even if it hurts them in in other ways, and that's a real danger. So we have to, you know, have to look at the bigger picture that we may have to wait to do certain things because one thing we don't need is, uh, and it's just the only other thing I'll say is this: it seems to me that at this point, what we need to do is we need to, as best as possible, and it's going to be a tough row, got to reach out to the people, keep explaining that these, that the unborn are people too. They are human just as you and I, and keep working on that message in order to get them to change their heart of hearts. And that's going to be real tough when they voted to, yeah, it's okay. You know, and of course you can always bring up the other thing is what's, what's next innocent babies who are, who are just brand new born uh, newborns. Is that okay? And then the, and then the other one would be, uh, what about the other end of life? Is it, well, this, uh, this person is, you know, uh, is mentally deranged now and they're, 79 years old well okay we can euthanize them even without maybe their family knowing about it you know you don't you don't know where this is going to go this is really dangerous it is disgusting and i thank you for your time
4: and i thank you for your thoughts john i appreciate that very much <clears throat> and you're right if you believe that you can kill a baby on one end of a birth canal why not after it comes out of the other end you know what i changed my mind or god forbid uh, we have situations in which babies survive abortions and then are allowed to die on the table or on a tray somewhere, which is something that has happened. And uh, they tried to legalize uh, in uh, in Virginia through the former governor and uh, uh, candidate for reelection, uh, Ralph Northam, if you recall. That's a decision between the mother and a doctor of whether is not whether or not to give life saving medical care to that baby that survived a botched abortion. And is laying there alive, but won't be for long if you don't give it medical care. Nope, let it die. If that is your attitude toward newborn babies, then why not one month later? What, 30 days? What do you think? 30 days? eh, It just isn't working out for me. I don't want it anymore. I know it sounds barbaric. It sounds grotesque. It sounds impossible. But so does some of the things that we already know are happening in late-term abortions. But Joan Joan is in uh, Twinsburg next. Hi, Joan. Go right ahead.
7: Hi, Bob. Yes, Joan. Uh, Thanks for taking my call. Certainly. I want to address what we need, in my opinion, what we need to do now in order to circumvent this terrible election choice. First of all, they should never have called it abortion. They should call it what it is. It should have been called killing babies because that's actually what it is. And so they should start calling it by its real Purpose, which is killing babies. The second thing is, since they have passed this legislation and they want to kill babies, when they craft the amendment for it, there should be a three-day waiting period, just like there is when you sign a financial agreement. There should be a three-day waiting period. And third, um, the most important thing should be that there should be crafted into that amendment that there should be a burial for the baby because we cannot let people to continue to profit off of killing babies.
4: Yeah and you know that burial part is a really good part of this because it would force people to recognize the humanity because they try to dehumanize the baby saying it's not a real person yet because it hasn't uh, it hasn't seen the light of day it hasn't uh, you know been outside the mother's womb if you what do we do with our dead we bury our dead and we bury our we dead bury human us. beings so if we have to have a a, a, a ceremony or a or a burial an official burial they'll have to recognize the humanity that they just killed and that could go a long convinced, way
7: I'm convinced if they had used the wording of killed babies in that 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 we wouldn't have had the turnout that we yeah. did it wouldn't have happened
4: yeah well the problem is and and thank you for the call Joan I appreciate it very much the problem is of course is in the is in the language because this is the debate the the pro you know, death side doesn't see them as babies. They see them as just extensions of the mother and it's a mother's medical condition that she should decide what to do with. They don't see it as a baby. And so getting, you know, everybody to agree on the language that yes, this is a baby would destroy the entire debate. It would be if it's a baby, it has to live. Every effort has to be undertaken to provide it with its, uh, you know, with its, its God given and constitutionally protected right to life. Which of course is first among life liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Uh and if they recognize it's a baby, then it has life that has to be protected and that's why they won't do so. Steve in Collinwood next. Hi Steve, go ahead.
11: Yeah, I wouldn't worry about the bishop. You know, he's he's entitled to his own opinion, even if it is wrong. But uh Well he's I not a bishop.
4: This is just yeah, this is just the uh this is just the uh pastor of this particular uh church, uh, the uh, oh, father okay. father uh okay. Kosel, yeah.
11: Okay, but I can prove it to you because the Ukraine war has been going on for two years, very little media coverage. Nobody's calling for a ceasefire there. And Israel's been fighting this war for, what, five weeks? And every little thing they do is scrutinized, and there's calls for ceasefire. You know, they're they're subject to scrutiny, and most of it's, you know, one-sided.
4: Oh, you're right. It is. So, and and it's a great point, by the way. You know, it, when, when we look at what's going on in Ukraine, it's give them everything they need to fire, 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 fire. Nobody's saying they should be. They should. Uh, you know, they were attacked by Russia. Nobody's saying they, they should uh, institute a ceasefire. And you want to know why? Because everybody knows if 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 Ukraine tried to institute a ceasefire, Vladimir Putin would bomb them and say, no, we disagree. We're going to keep fighting. And that's what Hamas has said as well. But yet they want Israel to agree to a ceasefire. It and, makes no and, sense. And, no. The,
11: and there were women and children and kids 10 years old that participated in that massacre. You know, a flush of people came in. They, they didn't kill. They stole and, and pillaged and, you know. And, You're right.
4: Uh, it, You're right. It, ben Shapiro Dubai, described, it, Ben Shapiro described, and, 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 and uh, Steve, I'll let you go there because I'm out of time, but thank you. Steve. Ben Shapiro described a little five-year-old Jewish boy who was grabbed by adults, uh, you know, the uh, the terrorists on October 7th. And then the the boy... Was given to a group of older boys who are Palestinian to let the older boys beat the little five year old Jewish boy to death. It, it was on video. It's, I mean, so you're right. You're right. Uh, the idea that there are innocent civilians, sure there are, but all of the civilians are not innocent in Gaza. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks to my guests, thanks to my team, and thanks to you for listening. Be well, be safe, stay free. See you tomorrow.